And welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Tatino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. It's all presented by Coors Light. Two ways to interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. You can also interact with us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. We'll get to your phone calls, get to your tweets along the way as the Giants wrapped up. Minicamp and I are going to break for the offseason before they return for training camp. But there is bigger news across the NFL landscape, specifically in terms of the expansion of instant replay as it pertains to pass interference. And for more insight on that, we are now joined by a very special guest right off the top. You can see her on NFL Network, also a columnist for NFL.com, none other than Judy Batista. Judy, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Hi, Judy. Good. How are you guys? Wonderful, wonderful. But I got to tell you something. I'm getting a little tired of all this this back and forth debate about 18 game schedules and should there be pass interference flags thrown by the coaches or by a sky judge? I mean, all this stuff that happens during the offseason is giving me a headache. <laughs> let, 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 let's start with the pass interference call because I know Lance has got a real, uh, a real sticking uh, thorn in his side over this whole thing. It seems to me right now that the, the, the ebb and flow of the tide is that the coaches didn't want their, their, their ability to throw a flag on it because they were afraid they'd be burning up one of their instant replay challenges. And so now it's kind of back in the, in the, in the courts of the, uh, the upper, upper echelon of the press box. Uh, where do we stand with this, Judy? And is there any chance that it will be modified again? Well, never say never. I mean, it's already gone through a few iterations since it was created in March. So we still got a long way to go until September. But um, I think what they're going to settle on, or what it appears they're going to settle on for now, is it is going to be coaches can challenge pass interference or non-pass interference, you know, called missed calls. Um, uh, the other parts of the game, not including the final two minutes of the first half and the final two minutes of a game, in those two-minute periods, um, it would be the replay official up right. in the booth, which is the same as everything else, right? That's the same mm -hmm. as all the other yeah. uh, plays that could be re reviewed. Um, the reason it's gone back and forth is that's how it was originally created at the league meeting in March. Then um, I think there became some concern that if you have it in the hands of the replay officials, that could mean a lot of stoppages in the final two minutes of a game. You know, if they're looking at everything, first of all, that would logistically be very difficult for the New York officiating headquarters to handle, especially on the 1 o'clock games when there's a ton of games end ending all at the same time. Right. But the other problem by the league is they don't want a ton of stoppages in the final two minutes. They don't want to come out and say it, but they don't want it to look like an NBA game where the final two minutes of a game takes 25 minutes to play. Mm -hmm. They don't like that. One of Roger Goodell's initiatives a few years ago was pace of the game. They want to keep it moving. So that was a concern. They talked to the coaches. They thought maybe if you had to just be challengeable by coaches, that would reduce the number of stoppages. But the coaches pushed back on that. They don't want that responsibility, first of all. And you're right. They don't want to have to save in their back pocket one of their challenges um, for a possible end-of-game scenario. So the way it is settled on now is it's going to be in the hands of the replay official up in the box. Um, they will have to stop the game. And there's going to be language in there saying, you know, sort of extra. It's, it's got to be especially egregious on pass interference to stop the, the, the game and review a play. They don't want every ticky-tack thing reviewable in the final two minutes, particularly on a Hail Mary. So that's where we are now. But you know what, guys? It's only June, and we got a long way until we get to September, so who knows? Judy, we have all covered this game for a long time, and we all know that on a number of those Hail Mary plays, there are <laughs> muggings. In fact, manslaughter nearly occurs on some of those Hail Mary plays. I wonder how they're going to define egregious when they get to a Hail Mary play. Will it ever be called, or will they just say, ah, you know what, no matter what you do on a Hail Mary play, it's not going to be egregious? Yeah, this is why I think the preseason games and the early regular season games are going to be so interesting to see how it's officiated and what kind of direction comes you know, from the league office. Because if you remember last year when they created the helmet rule, right, that you couldn't make mm -hmm. any contact, forcible contact with the helmet, that was getting called a ton in the preseason. 
and the league didn't like it because the game would be, you know, a million flags, a million stoppages. And so they basically had to go back and give instruction um, saying, you know, sort of not incidental contact. It has to clearly be intentional contact. They, they want to avoid that kind of scenario where they have to go back and give additional instruction to the officials. But um, I, I think it's going to bear watching, like, what do those early games look like, especially in the preseason? You know, are they going to stop the game a ton in the final two minutes? Because you're right. If you look at any Hail Mary play, there's not one case of pass interference. There's multiple cases of pass <laughs> interference. So how, what, what's going to constitute pass interference on that kind of play? That, I think, is going to be the big question. Well, Judy, it's interesting that you brought up the preseason, which you know I like to use as an experimental phase, and I'm sure coaches as well as everybody else who's invested in the league. And you brought up an interesting point also on Twitter because you were emphasizing that. I think what gets lost in translation here, when they implemented these tweaks initially, it was just for one year and nothing beyond That's that. Right. You know, They need to still approve to make sure that this is going to be moving forward. So how much is this season in the eyes of coaches, executives, and so forth really a trial by error with respect to reviewing pass interference or, to your point, non-calls as well? Yeah, I'm sure they don't want to use that phrase. But, look, I've had people in, in the league office tell me that they could envision a scenario where if there are simply too many stoppages, where if it's just a mess – where this would be a one-year-only rule, where they would go back, you know, in March when the owners have to reapprove it and say, you know what, we didn't like what this did to our game. Let's go back to the drawing board and figure something out. Uh, certainly, they would like to avoid that. They know that the, the missed call in the NFC Championship game was a fiasco. They know it was a mess. They know it really hurt um, officiating overall. So they would like, they want to come up with something to avoid that sort of worst-case scenario again. But, uh, you know, they're very concerned about multiple stoppages of play late in games, what that'll do to the flow of a game. Um, they're trying to find, you know, the fine line to walk between those two problems. But there's no question everybody's going to be watching closely this year. And if there are just too many stoppages of plays and if it, you know, messes up the flow of games late in the game, I could entirely see the scenario where we get to the league meeting in March, you know, where the competition committee has to look at it again starting next February, and then we get to the league meeting in March where they say, we're going back to the drawing board. We've got to come up with something better. Judy, I know I'm asking you to assume and kind of, you know, speak for, for other groups, but who is more upset about stoppages of play? You would think that coaches and players and even fans themselves yeah. would like the correct call to be made. I mean, I will tell you this, as somebody who absolutely loves the National Football League. I get more disgusted out of an erroneous call or non-call than I ever would about taking another five or ten minutes tacked on to the end of a game. I suspect many fans would not agree with that. Um, I think yes, you obviously want the call. That you have to get the calls correct as much as you can. But um, fans hate when games are stopped repeatedly. Like, think of if you're watching a game and you're sort of following along on Twitter during the regular season, and it's one of those games where there's just a million penalties and, you know, the flag is being thrown all the time. Think of the kind of complaining that you see on Twitter from fans, like of just the, the repeated mm. throwing of the flag, the repeated stoppages, how long point. the game is taking. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. The television networks certainly don't like it. Fans don't like it. I don't think players and coaches like it either. I don't think anybody likes that kind of constant stopping, starting, stopping, starting. Well, I guess, Again, I guess Judy. To... I guess Judy. What I'm saying is, I, I I appreciate you know the 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 kind of traffic log jam of having to break every two seconds. I mean, nobody likes to do that behind the wheel of a car either. But I suppose what I'm saying is, I don't know that it's going to be habitual. I, I I'd like to believe that there would be judicious use of it to the point where avoiding the embarrassment of a horrendous call to me would outweigh an extra couple of breakets. I mean, that's just that's just yeah, me. Well, that's that's just me. That's the goal, right? That's the goal is, you know, you're, you're going to maybe have an extra stoppage or two, but you'll get the call right. That is the ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why 
the preseason games are going to be so important because that's where they will be giving instructions to the officiating crews about we want this called, we don't want this called, you know, let this thing go, this is ticky-tack, but this is clearly egregious, you got to throw the flag on this no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they're going to have to feel their way. It's, you know, it's the first time, any time a new rule goes in, they'll tell you, league officials will tell you, when defensive pass interference first went in, um, it took like three years until that was finally officiated the way they wanted officiated. It's mm-hmm. a, if there's a growth curve, and I suspect that's what we're going to see on this. Is It's going to take a while for everybody to get where they want it to be. Certainly the goal is not a ton of stoppages, but to get the calls right as often as they possibly can. Well, it's taken a long time to get the catch rule right, so I guess it wouldn't be surprising, <laughs> Judy, exactly. if this takes a while as well. It's yeah. fluid, and I think, uh, and I think you know, those first few weeks are going to tell us a lot. We're talking with Judy Batista, NFL Network columnist for NFL.com. And, you know, you were bringing up the dynamics, Judy, about, well, there's concern about too many stoppages of play. And I want to bring up the Canadian Football League because the CFL has already been reviewing pass interference judgment calls for quite a few seasons. And when I've had some interaction with CFL officials, the one thing that they said was the reason we put the onus on the coaches to challenge as opposed to on the booth is because we would be nervous the league official working up in the booth, Judy, would be under pressure. He or she would want to review everything because obviously their job is on the line. So the reason I bring that up, from what you've heard, how much of a concern is even that? That maybe the, the reason why they initially wanted to tweak the rule is because then the booth is going to think, hey, we need to look at everything because we don't want to create more controversy like we saw in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I think... One of the concerns and the reason why they went back and looked at it and thought about making this all coach challengeable is there's going to be a different standard, right? They don't want there to be a different standard in the final two minutes of each half, Mm -hmm. but you're going to have different eyes looking at it, right? I mean, the first first parts of each half is going to be what the coaches think, the coach's discretion. Is it worth throwing the flag here? Is it worth risking, you know, losing the timeout? That's number one um, versus in the final two minutes, you know, the replay official is going to be looking at it differently, right? Are they going to be looking at every single plate very closely? And you're right. Is there going to be a feeling? They may not say it out loud, but is there going to be a feeling? I better stop and look at this closely because if I blow this call, oh boy, you know, this is going to blow up. Um, that's why I think the language of the rule is going to be so important, how they define egregious, you know, uh, how uh, strict, you know, if they're, uh, if they're going to say it's got to be a higher threshold, to stop a play in the final two minutes, what's that threshold going to be? How are they going to define it? What kind of instructions are you going to give to the replay official? Because there's going to be a ton of pressure on the replay officials in every game now. Judy, I know we're running out of time. If you have a couple of more minutes for us, we'd certainly like to find sure. out from you how much uh, of serious conversation is being given to the annual debate about going to 18 games and eliminating two preseason games. We've heard Commissioner Goodell refer to this now many, many times over the last few years. How close are we getting to a serious sit-down that may alter the game schedule? Well, this is all part of the bigger negotiation toward the next collective bargaining Mm -hmm. agreement, which they are talking to the union about. You know, they're talking about the whole gamut of issues that would be part of a new CBA. 18 games is something that the league is going to look at, and the the reason why there is interest among some owners is because, you know, let's face it, there would be a gigantic financial windfall, which the the players would share in. Obviously, the players get a large percentage of revenue um, because you could sell that, you know, another TV package, more games, right? It's lots Mm -hmm. and lots more money that gets divided up among all the parties. However... I think there's a fallback plan. Um, if they don't get 18 games, would they add a playoff game? That obviously could also generate a whole lot of revenue. There would be networks bidding to, to broadcast that game. Um, these are all negotiating tactics, right? I mean, 18 games will certainly be part of the discussion. How hard there will be a push for it? I don't know. It depends on what else can be done in negotiation. There are a whole bunch of issues that are all tied together. Um, 18 games is going to pop up or, you know, expanding games is always going to pop up because of the potential windfall of additional revenue. It's always going to come up. And so, you know, they're going to say it to the players like this. 
listen, you share in this revenue. Is it worth it to you? Do you Mm -hmm. want it? And if you don't want it, what can we do instead? Adding playoff games? What do you think about that? They're also going to say, listen, if we expand it to 18 games, we would expand the roster. That would create many more jobs. Sure. Are you interested in that? It's all negotiation, right? I mean, do I think that 18 games is coming? I I don't because I think the players will probably push back pretty hard, and I think there are other things that the league can get, maybe more playoff games. Um, But, you know, it's always going to be a part of the conversation just because it would generate a ton of money. Well, and of course, the USFL played 18 games for the three years of its existence back in the 80s and proved that it was a manageable way to go. However, they only had two semifinal playoff games and then a championship game. You know, nothing like what the NFL has where the playoffs are spread out over like six weeks. Correct. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's no question that there are some owners who have an appetite for 18 games. Um, there are other owners who don't, uh, and there are a whole lot of owners who are somewhere in between. Um, but again, all of these things are tied together. The, the, the number one thing is how is the revenue going to be split? That's, that's what always gets a CBA done. And this will be presented as this would create a ton more revenue. Are you interested in your share of a ton more revenue? And if, you, if you're not, if you think this is simply too much, what can we do instead to get more revenue? And again, that may be more playoff games, but it's all part of the give and take. Everything is a part of the give and take. We've, we've talked for years about, like, will they ease the restrictions on use of marijuana? You know, mm-hmm. that's all part of the give and take, too. That's going to be rolled into a new CBA as well. Mm-hmm. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. We meet halfway at the yeah. negotiating table. That's what, negotiation, <laughs> that's what negotiations 100%. are, right? What are you going to give me? What will I give you? Yeah. That's what it is. Judy, real quickly before we let you go, though, connected to all of what you're saying, I think, though, is that dangling phrase of player safety, which also is something that is always brought up as synonymous with, well, if you extend the games, now players are prone to more hits, more physicality. So that's why I would think the nugget that you pointed out, roster examination and expansion to me would have to be tied into any talk about additional games. Yes, I I don't think there's any question about that. If if the players expressed any willingness to even consider 18 games, it would have to be under the umbrella of you would expand the roster, so you would be creating you know a few hundred more jobs, perhaps an extra bye week to give players yeah. more rest. You know, how would you manage the roster? Would you have more players active on a game day? I think all of those things would be tied in if they ever got deep into the conversation about 18 games. I'm not sure how deep into the conversation the players' union is even going to be willing to go, though. She is Judy Batista. You can see her on the NFL Network, columnist for NFL.com. Judy, as always, great stuff. Really appreciate your time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Judy. My pleasure, you guys. Take care. You as well. That is Judy Batista once again weighing in here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Some of the chatter leading up to the next CBA negotiations, which are currently underway, as well as the tweaks, the continuous tweaks, I think it's important to label it, with respect to the expansion of instant replay for pass interference and judgment calls. Now, Lance, you heard Judy talk about the possible expansion of the playoffs as maybe uh, one of the negotiating points that could be jockeyed about when the league asks for more games. Charlie Weiss, on your NFL Sirius channel the other day, suggested that you eliminate the first two buys in each conference. He said, why not just have add two playoff teams to each conference so that you have uh, one play eight, two play seven, three play six, four play five, so that there are no longer buys. You have your four division winners in each conference and then four wildcard teams who were all on the road at the four division winners, this would give the NFL, think about it, two additional playoff games per conference. And the networks are going to salivate over having a total now of four additional playoff games. My problem, and the only thing that I could think about, and I I understand, you know, Charlie had an idea there. It was like, okay, that'll give the networks uh, some more money. It'll give the league more money. The players get the money and everything. And you're not going up to 18 games. It's a way to avoid it. The only thing I was thinking about is how do you schedule it? Do you put a triple header on Saturday, a triple header on Sunday, and a double header on Monday? Because you have to find a way to get eight games into a weekend. And I'm not sure how you would do it. 
I would think you'd probably have maybe a Thursday or a Friday game or, or something like that. And I know what you're going to say. It's a short turnaround. And coaches but... and players are going to be furious if you tell them they've got to have a Thursday or Friday playoff game right after the end of the season. They will not be happy. Well, I am completely against the expansion of the playoffs. And the reason why, I'm not even thinking about how you can manage eight games, Paul. What I love about the NFL is the smallest percentage of teams compared to all of the professional sports, with the exception of Major League Baseball, make the postseason. You've got 32 teams in the National Football League. 12 teams make the playoffs. Why are we going to now get to the point, if you're adding two, now we're half the league makes the postseason. So the challenge and the importance of every single regular season game, it diminishes if you're going to expand the postseason. I think... It's completely unnecessary. I love the fact that there's an emphasis on you have to win your division, and you know there's only two wild card teams. So we're only giving two gifts to teams that just miss out on their division. I love that about the NFL right now. Well, the other part is, too, if you're one of the top two teams in the conference, you get that very valuable bye week. And when you talk about the toll that a season takes on players, there is a true reward for those teams to be able to have that bye week. Now, we know different yep. coaches play it different ways, and sometimes it backfires depending upon... Momentum, how they Right, momentum and injuries, yep. and do they play guys in week 17 because, oh, you know, we're going to get the bye week, and so we don't know if we want to get them rusty or not. And, and the coaches have to decide on their individual basis how they're going to play it and how they're going to strategize. But, but I understand the value of saying the top two teams in the conference will have the opportunity to at least have that week off. Well, because that's an incentive, Paul. It is. That's what it gets back to. It really is. You're telling the top two teams in both conferences, hey, not only if you win your division, but if you show that you're consistently one of the top two teams in the conference, we're rewarding you. You get extra rest. And you also have a shot at home field advantage throughout the remainder of your conference postseason. That, to me, is important. Just like there's an incentive now, Paul, in winning your division. When you start expanding the playoffs, there, to me, is not much of an incentive in winning the division. And related to this, I don't know if you saw Eric Winston, the president of the Players Association, who's been with a few teams during the course of his career, he recently did an interview with NBC. They asked him about the expansion of the playoffs or changing of the postseason. Mm -hmm. He recommended, Paul, that they eliminate the seeding structure right now, and they just rank one through six based on record. So he's essentially eliminating the incentive of winning the division. So meaning if you're the Chargers, for example, Paul, they, they had a better record than some of the divisional winners last year, but they were a wild card team because the Chiefs won the division. So now you're going to put the Chargers two, the Chiefs one, and that means that the other three division winners get moved down and... Some of them are okay. not even hosting a playoff game. I'm completely against that, too. And, and, you know, I'm Italian, so I have a very strong opinion. I am totally I against it. that. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there, yeah. Because, remember, your schedule is weighted to play the teams in your division twice. And with a weighted divisional schedule, as we have, you cannot value a playoff spot equally or the, the earning of a playoff spot equally across conference lines to where now you're just going to seed them by numbers without taking into account division titles. I would be so against that. I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I love how the fact that the schedule, the regular season schedule, Paul, is structured around the divisional format, right? So therefore the playoffs should be too. And that's why I'm saying don't mess around with it. Now, piggybacking off of your point about the 18-game schedule, I know you threw out Charlie Weiss's point about the playoff, but let's just backpedal here for a second, Paul. If you go hypothetically to 18 games, okay, now you have to account for two additional opponents. Correct. So how do you go about finding those two additional opponents? Because you could argue there's room to play out-of-conference opponents, right? Because you're not playing everybody in the opposing conference, but who are you going to add if you go in conference? Right now, it's structured beautifully. You play everybody in your division twice. Right. You play another conference each once. And then you another play... Another division. Another division, excuse me. And then you play the two teams that finished in your spot the previous season in those other divisions to Correct. provide structure. So by you now adding other games, there's got to be some rationale behind it is my point. But what are they going to do? They're going to flip a coin? So you're going to play now two teams from another division and two teams from another division? I, I just, I, I don't like that idea at all. Yeah, well, and of course, you know, the whole preseason argument is going to come into play too because there's no way 
there is no way you're going to get the 18 games, even if you expand the rosters and then still have four preseason games. No, you That's to never going to happen. Two. That's yeah. never going to happen. Well, and, and we've had that discussion, too, as to is there merit for two or four preseason games? I think there is a debatable point to be made there. I think that that's a fair conversation to have. But who are you hurting if you cut down to two preseason games? The reason I bring that up is you're not hurting the established stars, Paul, because they barely play. But isn't it fair to say that you're hurting the fringe players? Mm-hmm. You're now removing an opportunity no doubt. for them to make a statement there to make the team. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. And every coach in this league will tell you, despite the fact that they pretty much have an idea of who they're going to have on their team, those final two weeks of the preseason, I, I don't want to give you a number, but there are roster spots that are be determined that that oh, get, they absolutely. get done on those five. And I will tell you this. I usually ask the Giants coach, whoever it is over the years I've been doing this, going into the final preseason game, I usually ask roughly how many spots are still in limbo. And the answer is usually when they are willing to answer, they're not always willing to answer, but when they do, they'll usually tell me there's about a half a dozen spots that we're not sure of. And I think that's a reasonable number. And I would agree with that. I don't think that's something that they're dolling up. I think that there are some decisions it comes down to, especially in that fourth preseason game, Paul, you know, from just covering the Giants. And I'm sure this is very similar to other teams. You know, guys are going to get additional playing time because they have no interest in playing their starters. So if you're somebody that you make a special teams play, you get a big tackle, you get a big return, and they're in between two guys, that could very well be the difference between you being the 53rd player or you being the 54th player. And I don't think that's an exaggeration, and I don't think that's hyperbole. So that's why I bring that up for fans who say, oh, you know, get rid of the two preseason games, it's meaningless. You've got to look at it through the lens of players, job opportunities. And and this is why I think it's also been very difficult for the expansion of the schedule. If we go back to the nuts and bolts of what Judy was talking about, it's the CBA. It's the negotiating table, Paul. It's the players union and it's the owners. Okay, well, what's the players union composed of? The players union is composed of everybody. The players union is not just led by the star players, the guys making the most money. It's the entire bulk of the player body. What is the entire bulk of the player body? What's the majority of the players in the players' union? It's pretty much the bottom half of the roster. That's the majority of the NFL. It's not the guys making the quarterback money or the star wide receiver. So that's why you could argue they've got much more influence, Paul, I would say, at the negotiating table because they make up the bulk of the union. You may have heard the uh, Phil Simms comments on NBC Sportsnet earlier this week where Phil in particular addressed the 18-game schedule with one of his points and said, and I'm going to paraphrase Phil, and, and Phil, if you're out there listening or watching, please feel free to call in and correct me if I got this wrong. But I believe what you had said was that if you went to the majority of the players in the league and gave them each a vote, that the players would actually vote for the 18-game schedule because of the revenue that would be generated by the extra games and that these players would be very happy to obtain that additional revenue. Because in this league, as we know, you have a separation of haves and have-nots, and there are many more players in the league who are on the lower end of the scale, and they would like the extra paychecks. And the game is a lot safer than it was back in the 80s, as Phil said, when he was getting you know, just belted left and right. Uh, they are protecting the quarterbacks. They're doing a lot more to protect receivers. Uh, They are really trying to clean up the game as much as they possibly can. And so he did not think that most players would factor in the injury argument and that they would go for more revenue. And he said that the players union is the, the power organization, if you will, that is saying no, 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 no. In fact, he even said people from the players union were coming after him saying, how could you say that? And Phil's like, I'm saying it because I really believe that most of the players, if you were really to take a vote, would disagree with with what you guys are trying to say. Um, It's an interesting point because very few big-time NFL voices have come out with that opinion. Here's actually Phil Simms' exact comment so we can provide Oh, I'm glad you got it. A great job by our producer, Dan Salomon, bringing this up. So this is from ProFootballTalk.com, and this was Phil Simms talking on his son's podcast, Chris Simms Unbuttoned. He said, quote, more game checks, it's prorated. 
Give me two more game checks. If you put it up to a vote by the NFL players, it's overwhelmingly, it'll go over and they'll say yes. Some of the elite quarterbacks and a few players know, well, yeah, you're making 25 and $30 million, which is what I was talking about. But the guys that are making a million or less, so now he's talking more about the bottom tier of the roster, two more game checks? Are you kidding me? Think about what those checks look like and how much that is and how much of a difference it makes in their lives, end quote. He went on to say that on NBC Sportsnet as well, in addition to his son's podcast. That's what I saw it. And, uh, you know, and that's part of the same network. And Yeah, yeah. And, and Phil said he took a lot of heat from the players union over this. Well, and that's why I brought it up, because I think people need to understand the dynamics of the players union. So there's a lot of different things here that you always need to look at. It's not just one individual speaking for an entire body. There's a lot of conversations that happen behind closed doors and what may look like an attractive option economically from the owner's perspective, the players are not necessarily always just looking at the economics, Paul. I think that's something that we've got to emphasize. They're looking at player safety. In terms of a running back, for example, Paul, you know, this was something that I even was talking with David Deal on Sirius NFL Radio about. The fact that, think about this. If you factor in the New England Patriots Mm -hmm. and all the additional playoff games that they played in the span of a decade, yes, this is the debate. I don't want to get off topic, but it's similar to the debate of what the Warriors have gone through during their five NBA finals runs. The number just came out about Tom Brady. Brady, correct, is obviously relevant to this conversation too. I didn't see the exact number. But oh yeah, it, it, the number about came how out. How many additional playoff games he's been? Well, because to? of the postseasons that he has been to, he has played like an additional two seasons more than any normal player of his experience would have had. But that's packed into the same amount of time that every other player is just playing the normal, typical regular season mm-hmm. schedule. So the the reason why I bring that up, if you're a player that is consistently on a playoff team, and it's hard to predict. You're playing additional postseason games. You're getting more game checks and more opportunities. You now add two more regular season games. You've got to wonder, how is that going to impact the product and the dynasty talk? There are so many tentacles to this, Paul. That's why I think it's relevant. Just like in the NBA, the debate about why guys get load management days off. It's because coaches and front offices are saying, if we play our guys 82 games straight with no rest— and then they go through an entire postseason run, and they get to the finals every single year, by the time five years ends, they're going to have played the equivalent of nearly an additional season compared to other teams that miss the playoffs consistently, and they're not stressing out their players that much. So I I think some of those numbers are valid. I don't think it's crazy. Well, here's what I will say, though, Lance, and you just mentioned a moment ago how it would affect the potential for dynasties. You know, uh, quite honestly, I think the NFL would applaud that. Well, because, because of the parity of the league. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. The NFL loves parity and mediocrity. They don't want dynasties. So if you're going to say, well, an argument against it would be this would be more difficult for dynasties to take place, the NFL is going to say, oh, yeah, we like that. Let's go for it, baby. Well, but I think there's enough in place right now to make it difficult to build a dynasty. So I don't think they're necessarily going to lose sleep over that. But once again... I don't disagree with you. I think that the league overall would not complain if you're now making it more challenging for the same team to consistently make the Super Bowl. Brady played in 40 postseason games as our producer Dan Salomon once again providing us the numbers 30 and 10 mark for the Patriots in those 40 postseason games. So 40 postseason games he has played during the course of his career. So it's over two seasons. Correct. You do the math. 16 games. For each regular season, 32, and and then the additional eight games. Yeah, so it's two and a half seasons, to be exact, in terms of what Brady has played on top of his normal tenure as a quarterback. It's a lot of snaps. Yeah. A lot of throws, too. Well, what, 1,589 passes. Now, Dan, is that regular season or that's regular season? Oh, no, that's just the postseason throws. Duh. Obviously, we're just talking about the postseason games. Okay, so he's thrown 1,589 passes in the postseason on top of all of the other regular season numbers that you're going to see. And he's still pretty good. Indeed, yeah. Well, he is the exception to the rule. But the reason why I emphasize that is I, I think the parallel between the debate in the NBA right now is very similar to the expansion to an 18-game regular season schedule about are we medically putting our star players in a precarious spot if we tack on more regular season games in the NFL. I think that is a serious 
conversation that needs to be had just from that angle. It Forget the rest of it. It did not really hurt the USFL, and I know it was only three years. Okay, I yeah, get short it. Sample it was stuff. only three years, but they played 18 games. I mean, I covered the Generals for those three years that they were in existence, and, you know, Herschel Walker didn't seem to have any trouble. Oh. And trust me, uh, he was, you know, I don't want to say he was their Saquon Barkley, but in terms of how much he touched the ball, he was the go-to guy. I mean, he was in the passing game. He was in the running game. He was getting pounded all the time. And, you know, I, I think Herschel Walker's a Hall of Fame player. I, I'm tired of arguing for it because it's just ridiculous for those who don't vote for him. Uh, Herschel Walker was a Hall of Fame player and a phenomenal generational talent. And he didn't show any wear and tear. I mean, look at the NFL career he had after spending three years of, of all those games in the USFL. Didn't hurt him. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's always exceptions to the rule. There's guys that, I mean, you could throw them out there for 25 games and they're still standing because, you know, the technology, I think, Paul, has also increased the level of information yeah. that players have at their disposal so that they in the offseason, we talk about, they have specialists, players that don't show up maybe for the voluntary segment of the offseason. They're working out with their own individuals oh, because they're that much Lance, more accessible and knowledgeable. There's such a heavy reliance on sub-packages. Let's face it. You know, it's not like the old days where you're starting 11 on defense, you're starting 11 on offense. All right, your offensive line, they'll play every snap during That's the course of the game. That's not as interchangeable. So will your quarterback, okay? But even some of your receivers and your running backs, they're getting more plays off now than they did back in the 80s. And certainly on defense with the sub packages. My goodness. You know, you're not seeing guys play you know, 90% of the plays anymore, unless you're the Giants from a couple of years ago and Vernon and JPP. Well, and in fact, when that happened, people were like, how can you do that? You're running these guys into the ground. Correct. Yeah, that was the conversation when Spags was playing them X amount of snaps. But part of the rationale from Spags's perspective is they're my best players. So if I take yeah. them off the field, if the level of productivity dips, then I'm hurting my team anyway. Well, so I'm, I'm telling you right now, Jack Gregory and John Mendenhall and those guys... Going back even before that, Andy Robustelli and Jim Cat Cavage, they didn't take plays off. Well, I don't think okay? they were even worried about their snap counts. I can no, they were not worried point. about snap counts. Yeah. There, Trust me. There wasn't any saber metrics in the no. National Football League. No. I can guarantee you right. where they played. They rubbed dirt on their knee and they said, put exactly. me out there. Exactly. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We'll get to some tweets. Also want to open up the phone lines, and it's all presented by Coors Light. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you. Let's open up the lines. We got Len in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Len. Right, Len. Uh, I, I just happened to mention to Dan, um, I really wanted to talk about the subject that you're, you're talking about here, and that is the um, ex expanded schedule to 18 games. But just, just a little sidebar to this. Um, the Washington Post reported this morning that, uh, and I passed this on to Dan, that Haskins has a very good chance of being the starting quarterback on day one. Okay. Good for him. All right. Just an interesting piece of news. Well, I, I think um, also, you know, Case Keenum is not necessarily a long-term answer, too, for the Washington Redskins and does not have a history with the team because he was just acquired. So, I mean, if, right. if we're going to try to compare that to the Giants scenario, I, I just don't think that there's a lot of substance there. Not saying that no, you were no, going I'm, I'm there, not, but— I, wasn't, I okay. wasn't trying to do that. I, I was just trying to add that, uh, you know, the first time we play the Redskins, which is what, game, game four? September 29th. That it's it's likely that Haskins will be the quarterback and would be from the from the you know from the first week. We we had a previous discussion on this, Lance, talking about how first round draft pick quarterbacks, uh, you know, whether mm -hmm. they were even addressed in that first week. I don't know if you remember that conversation. Yeah, we did. Correct. Let me let me go on to the main point. And um, Lance, you used the point uh, or the the phrase uh, tentacles to this eighteen game season. Don't don't forget. Another segment of partners that the NFL has, and that's that's the season ticket holder, the the people who are finally going to pay the bills, and whether or not they might like an 18 game season. And I hope somehow, not just fans who are watching the game on TV, but the real partners, the real partners with the NFL, have a say in whether or not we go to 18 games. Well, I don't I think mean, that's likely, Len. Pay the freight, guys. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't think that's likely because you have to remember the percentage of money that the NFL is able to generate is mostly through the network deals and other other avenues. The actual ticket sales that you get on Sunday 
is a much smaller percentage of the big piece uh, of the big pie. You know, so I I don't think that's going to be much of an influence at all. Okay, so you're you're telling me that, and just to use my own case, uh, myself in this situation, I'm less of a partner than the NFL than the networks are. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Well, I mean, look at the economics, Len. I mean, are you spending billions of dollars to to make the games happen every Sunday? The networks are. Len, let, and let me throw this out as a yeah, comparison yeah. and something related to what you're bringing up. When a team raises ticket prices, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, do they send right. out a survey to fans and season ticket holders? I at least have never experienced that. And my family's a season ticket holder for the Knicks. I've never experienced a survey being sent out. Hey, is this okay if we uh, raise ticket prices 15 bucks a pop? I've never experienced something I mean, like that. even baseball, when they went up to 162 they didn't. They didn't survey the fans. Yeah. <laughs> so know, I, I mean, I mean that, that's well, what I'm bringing me, up. Well, let me let me just add something. As one who has gotten letters from ownership, in this case, Mr. Tish and Mr. Mara, uh-huh. uh, each and every year, even when um, uh, ticket prices aren't being raised, and, and and let me say they they've been real smart about all of this for the last three years, and held ticket prices uh, stable over that three year period of time, and I appreciate that, given the product that they've been putting on the field. And also, um, uh, being very realistic about the value of preseason games to their season ticket holder partners. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, very favorable uh, value-wise in terms of the prices for preseason games, and I applaud them for doing that. And, and they've done that for four or five consecutive years. And if, if Mr. Mauro or Mr. Tish are listening, if they wanted to cut the price on preseason another 20 bucks a game, I'd be okay with that, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You'd have no complaints. You know, and yes. I think most of the season ticket holders would, I, I think, say the same thing. But uh, back to the letter that I might receive, um, or that I do receive every year, uh, Mr. Mara um, and Mr. Tish thank me for my... Uh, ongoing now they may not use the word partnership uh, but i think they're referring to it and i think um i i think if you asked him i i think john mara and also mr tish uh thinks of us um i'm, I'm surprised you guys feel that way well we're not saying i mean listen i don't want to i don't want to put words in anybody's mouth no, but yeah, of course yeah. not. we're not okay. we're not I, dis- I think he would refer to us as partners just we're, let me finish the sentence I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Lance. No, no. I was going to say that I, I don't think it's a matter of disvaluing the fans and the season ticket holders. I think the way that Paul and I are interpreting it, I'm just looking at it from the economic breakdown of the league. And when right. you look at when you look at Len, a okay. network that brings billions upon billions of dollars into the league, you yeah. would think, hey, just like if you have multiple owners, right? You got minority owners and you got majority yeah, owners. Sure. The guy yeah. that owns 52 percent of the team, when it comes to the owners' meeting he's going to have a little bit more say than the guy that owns 2%. So th- that that was where I was coming I mean, from as well as Paul. The, the numbers just indicate that yeah. the networks have a bigger hammer. That's all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I and and I just just to go back on this on this point a little bit. Um from, from Len, 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 I tell you what. I tell you if what. You're, Len, if you're an undrafted free agent and you make the roster this year, uh it's about $30,000 a game. I think it's 495 is the season contract for an undrafted free agent. If you do that across 17 weeks, you, you, you get about 30, maybe a little less than $30,000. So if they play two more games, they'd get $60,000. Now, obviously, if you're Eli and you're playing two more games and you prorate the salary, it's going to be a lot more money. But well. to, to the young guy, you know, the 21, 22-year-old undrafted free agent who makes a roster, that's, that's about what it would be. Which is what Phil Sims referred to. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be honest with you, Land, uh, and, and I, I don't want to debate the point any longer, but let, let's make it really simple for you because this example really is the best one I can come up with. Yeah. You know, the networks determine the kickoff times. Uh, yeah. They determine what days the playoff games are going to be on because they want the best ratings and the best markets and the best kickoff mm-hmm. times. The networks get to flex out Sunday night football games because they want to be able to, you know, get their best bang for their buck. I mean, yeah. that that really is the best example I can give you at how the networks really wag the, the dog. The tail is wagging the dog. The networks, they, they got a lot of clout. 
Oh, I, I listen. I'm not doubting that, Paul. And and this is this is this this is not bragging when I say this. This is just to make it part of the to make it part of the conversation, if you will allow me. Unless you want to go on to another call. Oh, quickly, okay real with, quick, because yeah, we have other calls. I want to get to other calls. Let me, yeah. let me let me just make this last point. And um, you know, when you begin to consider the season, you also got to consider what do you you know you're talking the end of, starting this thing at the end of the summer and finishing around January one. Are you thinking about Good question. the season well Good into point. January? In the Good Northeast? question. Um, and from from my standpoint, remember, I'm not corporate. I'm, I'm just a long time, <laughs> I mean, long, long time fan and season ticket holder. Um, you you lay in, and this is what it would be if you lay another eighteen hundred bucks on me. I I, I got to think about how I spend my entertainment dollar. And I just think there's a lot of people out there across 32 cities who are going to be thinking the same thing. They better not. They better consider impact of this uh, on their partners. Hey, guys, have a great weekend. Yeah, Take care, Lynn. Appreciate the phone man, call. I, Hey, it was a long off season, but boy, it went quickly. Thanks for your, thanks for your <laughs> help getting us through the off season. Hey, you got it, Lynn. Really, Enjoy. Really looking thanks forward for tuning to in. Camp. Appreciate thanks that. for taking my call. All right, Lynn. Take you care. And well, I think that last point is a really good one, by well, the way. Well, you said there are a lot of tentacles to this, and yeah. that's really true. And, and Len was just bringing up other facets of the prism. It's not that they're to be ignored. Please, I, I don't want anyone to think that we're saying, ah, oh, you know, that doesn't count at all. It's just that there are certainly going to be certain facets of this conversation that are going to have a heavier hammer than others. And, you know... <sighs> In, in fact, to be perfectly frank with you, there are probably even more angles than you and I can come up with at this table that we don't even know about. Absolutely, but I think we've hit on a variety of them, which makes for a good discussion because it's not so simple. And it reminds me of a conversation I think we had the other day, and I always bring up Dave Gettleman's phrase because it's related to the roster. Decisions are not made in a vacuum. Paul. Exactly. So this is another one of those conversations where you don't make a decision in a vacuum because Len brought up factors, I brought up factors, you, know, you brought up I factors. I bet you there could be facilities issues if all of a sudden you're going to add all those extra games. Because of concert bookings and everything else that stadiums are used for, absolutely. I mean, it, or, or, you know, I mean, Oakland was one of the rare ones where the baseball team was still sharing right. well, it. it's the only With one. football, you don't have to worry about that left. elsewhere. No, but what about, hold on, the new California stadium where you've got two teams sharing a stadium. Well, Giants and Jets okay, share a stadium. Giants and Jets. So, uh, In Baltimore, the, the baseball stadium and the football stadium share a parking lot. Yeah. So all of that. I mean, even in Cleveland, I think multiple stadiums are in the oh, same city, goodness. too. So all of that is relevant to the conversation. Anyway. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Richard in West Palm Beach. Richard, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hello. Richard, are you there? Richard, you got to listen through the phone, not the computer. I hear the computer Hello. faintly going once. One more time, Richard. Going Come twice, on. Come on. Come times. on. Ah, he didn't get open Just, soon yeah, enough. I could not make contact. We, we just took a sack. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was using the baseball analogy. You went football, which is probably more appropriate. All right. Let's uh, see if Jay in California is a tad more talkative. Jay, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing very well, Jay. How are you all off season? We are doing oh, well. How's things with you? Uh, doing great. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to add uh, an extra point, too, about the schedule topic, which is that these guys are already overtaxed as it is. You know, we all remember how players constantly break down as the season goes on. So adding extra games is only going to add to that. But I thought of a kind of hybrid solution, um, you know, thinking about this issue for some time, which is that you add an extra week for TV purposes, but you actually just do that by adding an extra buy. So you have by week, maybe remove a preseason. Well, they've done that before. You'll remember many years ago, they did have two bye weeks per team. That, that That's not unheard of. It's been done. Yeah, so I think that would be a great maybe uh, solution to go back to. Give the guys a little bit more rest throughout the season, but get an extra week for TV purposes, which is, you know, I think for, for a large part of the fan base, how you watch it anyway, rather than having, yeah. a, you know, a, a fourth meaningless preseason game maybe add an actual meaningful uh you know week of television well but jay related to what you're talking about it actually goes back to the previous caller lens point the calendar i think has to be involved in this conversation because if you eliminate two preseason games okay i know a lot of you are going to say well you move the regular season up but paul here's the other factor if i'm a coach 
while those preseason games are going on, I'm also practicing. I'm still in training camp mode. So if you move the regular season up, you've essentially cut into training camp. You're limited as it is in physical contact and OTAs. When are these guys putting the pads on? When are you getting them Mm -hmm. mentally and physically ready for the season? That's going to then hurt the product. So now if you want to leave the regular season start time the same, just if you cut the preseason down, now, okay, the regular season's going into January. The playoffs are being pushed back. The Super Bowl is being pushed back. Is everybody okay with that? I wonder what would be the percentage of no-shows for people who still enjoy their summers in August and maybe might skip attending game one or game two of the regular season if all of a sudden you're starting the regular season oh, in the middle of fans? August. You're not I'm talking, talking about play. fans. Okay, I didn't know who you were I'm talking I'm not talking about. about now TV issues. I'm talking about attendance. I mean, look, look it, there are so many sticky parts to this. Um, but, uh, you know, we're talking about it only because none of us ha- really have any answers. Yeah, no, absolutely. You guys do a great job of breaking it down. Um, yeah, and I just, again, want to reiterate that. You know, I think it's disappointing for all of us when we see great players in the league like Todd Gurley who no, have it's, a yeah, wear yeah. down at the end of the season. Terrible. Yeah, Mark absolutely. It is terrible when down. stars get hurt. No yeah. question. Nobody wants to see it. I, look, we just went through an NBA Finals, Jay, where guys were wearing down and getting hurt too. You always want to see games decided with full health with the ideal roster. There's no doubt about that. I think that's something that goes across the world of sports. And appreciate the phone call, Jay. Thanks so much for weighing in. Thanks a lot. You appreciate got it. it. Thanks for adding to the conversation. Let's head back to the lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Marco is in Connecticut. Marco, what's happening? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. Hi. Marco, what do you got for us? Great to be with you. Um, I got a quick comment and then a question about um, the roster and what you guys think about something um, maybe towards the end of the summer little prediction um here's my here's my here's my comment um sorry i was picking up something on your line okay here's a a comment um i was just thinking about when i was listening to coach Shermer's uh last press conference this week um i was thinking back to like when coughlin and jerry reese would deal with the media and i always enjoyed like you know just over the years you kind of understood their like cadence almost like with the with the media what they were going to answer what they weren't going to answer over the years you just you grow accustomed to that and now i'm starting to get accustomed to gettleman and Shermer, and there are similarities i think with the group and, and with both with both sets i haven't found anyone that is outwardly lied to the media or even around draft time, I remember, like, Reese would never even give a name about anybody. Whereas Gettleman will, um, but he won't tell you anything, but he's very good at just uh, engaging with the conversation. Here's my point. Okay. My point, is, my point is with Shermer this week with the media, and believe me, I'm on Twitter, and I read everything that the media says, and they drive me crazy with a lot of the, the big uh, narratives. I felt like listening, and I was almost like rooting for Shermer as he was taking these questions. And I kept saying, I'm like, Coach, if you want to hammer this close right now, you can't. And I think the media kept asking because they were like, hang on a second. You're not saying Eli's 100% the starter and there's not a competition. And the only reason I bring that up is I listened when, when last year when we had quarterbacks on the roster, and I never would have thought, that Davis Webb would not have made the roster. But if you listen back to what Pat Shermer found, his attributes that he wanted in a quarterback, you're like, oh, makes sense. Davis Webb didn't fit all that criteria. We, and he told us that, but we just weren't seeing that. It's similar to, similar to Beckham. We didn't sign Odell to trade him. Well, they're not lying to us. And, and that's my only thing with, with that press conference is, like, he could have sealed it shut and he didn't. And you guys can – comment on that if you want to but you i have a question anyways well marco here's what i will tell you uh if you understand the game of football and i I, you know you want to believe that the folks who were sent out here to cover the team do have an understanding of how the game works i mean that's part of what we're supposed to do we're supposed to have knowledge and we're supposed to be able to put things in their proper context i mean that's the job as as a conduit to the fans Well, then you would understand when a coach says that I want my player to be ready to play week one, he feels that way about all 53. He should not have to explain himself as if his audience is a bunch of third graders. 
you know, um, and well, and that's really how I feel about it. I mean, look, I've, I've been doing this for 37 years. I, I, I understand all the nuances. I understand all of the inferences. I understand what's said, how it's said, what it means, what the context is. It's part of my job. That's what comes with experience and knowledge. Um, you know, if you got somebody who's listening to him who doesn't understand, look, if someone was, was giving me a press conference in a foreign language, I would not understand it. And if I just got a, a dictionary translation, well, then that's not doing it justice because I don't have context and knowledge about the background of that stuff. So then I would be at a disadvantage and I would probably be asking foolish questions and making incorrect assumptions and things would be lost in the translation, uh, which is why I don't have press conferences where uh, or t- attend press conferences for things that I don't know about. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, if you're going to swim in the pool, you better know how to swim. And there are a lot of people who don't Paul, know how to swim. Paul, no, no doubt about it. But you know there's an asterisk next to the quarterback position. And when, and when the first-round pick at number six was a quarterback, you know, people, eyebrows get raised when it's like, oh, wait a second. Like, you know, because, because, because all over the league, if someone's drafting a quarterback in the top ten – naturally there's a conversation around this guy's probably going to be starting or at some point he will be starting except in our position at the giants it's it's a little different and and there's and there's kid gloves with that because we have a veteran who's entrenched uh there is a model that supposedly we might be following and i think that's why i'll tell you what marco hold on a second i'm going to ask you to do something a piece of homework and then we got to run a piece of homework for you i haven't done this so maybe i'm asking for it but, you know, we've heard Dave Gettleman talk about the Kansas City model, right? When they had Alex Smith and Pat yeah. Mahomes. I would, mm-hmm. I would take a pretty good guess, and I don't know, again, so I could be wrong here, but I would take a pretty good guess that had Andy Reid been asked about Pat Mahomes during his rookie summer, one of the things he probably said at some point during his conversations with the media is that we're trying to get this guy up to speed as soon as possible, and we want him to be ready to go if we need him. I'm sure at some point he said that because every head coach in this league is responsible to make sure that all 53 players on the roster that he takes into week one is ready to play in an NFL game because they're only one snap away from seeing real action. It's his responsibility to feel that way. And again, that comes with knowledge of the game. You got you, you got to know where the guy's coming from. Well, and Marco, I, I have the transcript in front of me. While you could say Pat Shermer didn't emphasize this in every single one of his answers, he is on the record saying, quote, we feel good about where Eli is. He is our starting quarterback, end quote. I mean, that's an exact Done. phrase from one of the questions. He was asked the same question 17 gazillion times, but one of his mm-hmm. answers brought that exact statement. So I understand every answer didn't bring that statement, but one of them did. And I think that's pretty clear. And and, and I don't think it's also, it goes back to Gettleman's response. And I don't remember which presser he said this at, Paul, but he made it very clear it's not the team's duty to lay out what the plan is. And and I think that holds true, Marco, to any team. Because you know why? The plan evolves and the plan changes. So Mm -hmm. hypothetically, if Shermer and Gettleman were to tell you, this is exactly how we see the season playing out, this is exactly who we see starting, and then injuries happen or... You know, they see something in a practice that wants them to go in a different direction. Why put themselves in a position, Marco? Why should any GM or coach put themselves in a position where they get on the record on June 11th only for then things to d- dramatically change on August 18th? It just, you, don't, you don't gain anything out of that. Right. Uh, that's fair. Paul, uh, Paul I, and thank you, Lance. And Paul, yeah. I will give you a call back next week after I, I'm going to look up some of those read comp, uh, press check, conferences. Check the Kansas we'll City Star. That's the paper no, of no. record out there that covers the Chiefs. And I, I'm sure that, that Reed probably said similar things. And Marco, I appreciate I, Yeah, real quick. What? Quick, 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 quickly, I want to know what you guys um, take a shot and think about who's the player, one player, each of you pick one player that – we are not talking about today, but you think we'll jump on the radar uh, before week one because of the training camp that that player had. Thanks, okay. Guys. You got it. Very good. All right, let's try to squeeze in a last call, and then we'll finish up the show with our responses on that front. Kaiser's in Yonkers. Kaiser, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Uh, so good to talk to you, too. 
Uh, I just love that that Tatino Meadow combo. It's amazing. Anyway, Paul. Yes, sir. Why did we take this phone call? Thirty-seven years, Paul. You look so. I mean, what's your secret to to looking that good? I don't get it. Pasta and pizza, my friend. Thirty-seven is one too many years. Pasta and pizza. You know, I got to try that. They, I, the carb. You know, people tell me the carbs are bad, but obviously, look at look at you. I can't believe. Oh, it's all in the bots, man. All right, so a couple things uh, I want to talk about. What you guys were real quick, what you guys were just talking about. Yeah, it's not just the people who are there reporting. Then you get you watch NFL Network and you see Andrew Siciliano and Kim Jones discuss a bombshell out of New York when he did say exactly what you said that. Eli's our starter, and Daniel Jones has to put himself in a position to play and compete. That's all he's saying. And that what, what any coach would say about mm-hmm. a backup quarterback and a starting quarterback. And it's unbelievable that the headline, or you, when you watch TV, even NFL Network, who you think would have some semblance of, of decency, would, would, and Kim Jones, who wasn't even in the building at the time, would would just report what happened but no a bombshell out of new york but anyway i guess that's not just here or there i just sometimes it's just hard for me to believe how they report on stuff um one other thing and i know lance is uh has positioned himself as an expert on this um <laughs> the chicago bulls <laughs> the, the uh, people are now talking about this toronto team maybe being even better than that 96 oh, wow. bulls team. kaiser's taking us all now, now lance i just you know i know what your position is i know how hard you fight for those 90s bulls teams but a lot of people are saying that you know they just might have been oh. top so i'll leave it at that um i i, I really don't know what to what else to say but it's just great seeing you guys in the dog days of summer are coming and just you can't get more schmelk more meadow and more Dettino. it's just never enough <laughs> thank right, you kaiser. so much for calling always appreciate the insight that kaiser and yonkers brings to the table well whenever i hear the words lance and expert in the same sentence i immediately think of the bulls I well, can't help it. And you opened up Pandora's box for him to go into that direction. <laughs> I will leave it at this way, even though this is an NFL-related show. Look at how difficult it is to pull off a three-peat. Is it not? Golden State Warriors did not pull off a three-peat. There's a team that pulled off a pair of three-peats in the span of eight years. I think that's well said. I don't think you got anything that you're going to bring up to debate me on that front, Tatino. Okay? We'll leave it at that. We've got nothing to add. With respect to, yeah, look at him shrugging, for those of you not watching. He's silenced. <laughs> On a more Giants-related note. We, we have to go. Well, oh, you well, have something else? Well, here's the thing. First of all, Schmelk is waiting to eat lunch with us. So if we're going to extend the show, this is the day to do it. Okay. Let him wait. Okay. All right, you know, go ahead. Real quick. No, did you I'm get, not going to say anything else. Just finish up. I what thought you got? you'd be looking forward to this. And what do you this have? is payback for, by the way, some of the things that he said on the program the other day, as if I don't see Salamone's tweets. Oh. See, you, the two of you guys, you think you pull fast ones? I've got sources. I've got ears everywhere. Okay, Big Brother's always watching this program, whether I'm here finish or not. Finish up. I'm just sending out a message. Okay. Anyway. No, well, let's get back to Marco's question real quick. Oh, there was something in, in else to add. Of, well, he asked about two guys that we think maybe right oh, now. Oh, okay, are and you want to sign off with that? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, if we're not going to talk about the rookie class because we've all discussed those guys at infinitum now for the last couple of months, that's fair. For me, I'm really curious to see how much additional steps Corey Coleman takes at wide receiver. Got to take my players, but anyway, go ahead. Yes, you're with me on that. Well, one. I've been. Saying a lot about Corey Coleman. Go ahead. I'm listening. I mean, his speed is unquestioned. Uh, Eli Manning just said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he talked to Corey, and when Coleman got here during the middle of last season, you know, he had some trouble with the playbook, was unfamiliar with a lot of the stuff, but he said to Eli, and this is Eli saying it now, hey, Eli, when when I got some of the stuff down, when I felt like I knew what I was doing, I could really make it happen. And Eli seemed to be very excited and enthused about that. So the thinking that Coleman will now have a whole offseason to really try to lock this stuff down, I'm pretty excited about what he can do. And John and I were talking yesterday, you know, Darius Slayton looks like he's going to be a heck yeah, of a speed burner in that wide receiver's room. Could you imagine if both him and Coleman can do enough during the preseason to both make the roster? That's pretty exciting. Well, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver. I've said that multiple times on this program. I stand behind that. Time will tell production-wise, but I think the competition at that three spot beyond is very intriguing to watch. Coleman, 
Slayton, Latimer, don't lose sleep over because, I mean, don't overlook, excuse mm-hmm. me, because he was productive in his flash moments last season when he was healthy. I'm going to go in a similar area, and I'm going to go with Paul Perkins because I think Perkins is another guy right now that's falling under the radar, Paul, similar to Coleman because of either injuries that have halted his production, hasn't been able to pick up where he left off earlier in his career where he was getting a lot of playing time. Now, all of a sudden, the opportunity's there to try to solidify a spot at the running back position. They like his skill set. I think he's looked good during the course of the offseason program for mm-hmm. what they've asked him to do as a receiver and a runner. Now he's got to take it to the next level once they put the pads on. So Perkins, I could see, is a guy that right now, okay, everybody's focusing on Saquon and Wayne Goldman, and they're looking at the fullback position, but Paul Perkins gets lost in translation. That would be a guy that I think we may be talking about at training camp once they get into a little bit more physical activity. That's a good answer, except that during the regular season, I don't think you'll have enough of a role that by you know week one we'll be talking a lot about him. But I well, like Coleman, Perkins. Of course, has I, more of an edge. I think he does. Point. I think yeah, he does. I'm with you and, there. And by the way. I do think Paul Perkins will make the 53. That's an early pick from me. You guys know how much I've, I've liked this kid now for a few years. So, anyway. Well, just one other tidbit that yeah. I would add. If, if we're going to base it on who do you think is actually going to make an indent in the regular season, then I would throw out Cody Latimer in that conversation. I think Corey Coleman and Latimer both have a great opportunity ahead of themselves depending on what they produce because the third wide receiver spot is very wide open at this point. Well, here's the best news of all. With an improved offensive line, it means Eli has more time, and it means those guys have more time to run their routes and to get open. And, and the separation. passing game should flourish. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate all the callers. I know we didn't get too many tweets. As always, we'll try to address those off the air. We're back up and running on Monday, starting at noon Eastern. Enjoy your weekend upcoming. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live, as always, presented by Coors Life. For Paul, for Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Easier said than done. See, you get me flustered here and there. This is the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll speak to you next week. Have a good one.